Amen. As you grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, like I said last week, the easiest way for you to find the book of Nehemiah is to find the book of Psalms and start turning left. As you go left, there's Psalms, then Job, then Esther, and then Nehemiah and Ezra. And if you, like I said last week, if you hit, if you hit Chronicles, you've turned too far. Go back to the right. Nehemiah chapter 2. William Shakespeare, he wrote the following words in his Christmas play, Twelfth Night. He said this, he said, Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great. Some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. Now, there are many common people around the world, just like you and me, who weren't born great. And they're not seeking Greatness. They were simply faced with a situation and were willing to step up and make a difference. I think about this lady right here. You can see on your screen. That lady is Lu Xiaoying. Lu Xiaoying. She died in 2012 at the age of 88. But she had lived with her husband, Li Zin, in the city of Jinhua which is in the eastern Chinese province of Zhejiang, where they managed to make a living by recycling garbage. That's what they did for a living. They were junkers. They would go and they would sift through people's trash, the things which people had thrown out, and would see what they could find that they could then take and sell to the recycling companies that they might eke out a living. And from time to time, they would come across something that was very shocking. They would find amongst the trash a baby. Now I say shocking because that would be utterly shocking to us, wouldn't it? I mean, if you were to go by the trash cans and, and, and hear a baby and see a baby there, you'd be utterly shocked. But in China, the truth of the matter is, sadly, it was fairly commonplace. It was then, and maybe it still is today. You see, for several decades, China had a very strict one-child policy. Now, thankfully, they've relaxed that policy to two children in 2016 and to three children in 2021. Christy, we'd have been in prison. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> but back in the day, the penalty for having more than one child, it was very steep. And given that the Chinese culture values sons over daughters it particularly what was was burdensome on baby girls and they were often just thrown out with the garbage and left to die it was commonplace enough that that oftentimes people would just ignore the babies and just pass by them choosing to remain oblivious to their plight but Lu Xiaoying however was one person who didn't do that even though she lived in extreme poverty herself, I mean, you can imagine the kind of lifestyle that recycling garbage affords you. When she came across an abandoned baby, she took it home with her to a humble house where she would lovingly nurse that baby back to health until they regained their strength and grew into a strong, happy child. Here's a picture of her and her husband, along with some of those babies that they had found thrown out and abandoned. Over the course of her life, they rescued at least 30 babies. 
And at some point, they would pass along the children to family or friends, but she and Lee Zin, they personally raised four of them along with their biological daughter. And in an interview toward the end of her life, here's what she said. She said, the whole thing started when I found the first baby. She didn't go looking for a baby. She found the first baby, a little girl back in 1972 when I was out collecting rubbish, she said. She was just lying amongst the junk on the street, abandoned. She would have died had we not rescued her and taken her in. Watching her grow and become stronger gave us such happiness, and I realized I had a real love of caring for children. I realized if we had enough strength to collect garbage, how could we not recycle something as important as a human life? These children need love and care. They're all precious human, li- uh, human lives. She finished up by saying, I do not understand how people can leave such a vulnerable baby on the streets. Now, when Lou died at the age of 88, her youngest son was only seven years old. She found him when she was 82 years old in a dustbin and rescued that baby from that dustbin. She took him home like she had all the other ones and saved his life. Beloved, I submit to you this morning that Lu Ying lived a life of greatness. Would you agree with that? That's a life of greatness. That is a life well spent. But here's the deal. She never went looking for it, right? Greatness was thrust upon her because when she faced a situation, she was willing to step up and make a difference. Now this morning, we're going to continue walking through the book of Nehemiah where we're discovering what a godly uh, process of restoration looks like in the series that we're calling A City Broken. Now we learned last week that restoration begins with a burden. And maybe, I pray that, that maybe your burden is still there, right? The burden that, that, that God began to build in you last week, that, that it's still there. Maybe it's even grown. Maybe you've realized today that, that the burden is not just maybe for the city or your city or your community. Maybe it's for something more specific than that. But nevertheless, you have a, a burden, and that's the first step. But today we learn this truth. Here's the second truth that we want to learn here in the book of Nehemiah. Today's truth is this. Restoration continues with a willingness to act. Lu Xiaoying is a, is a great example. That's a recent example. But as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, we see the very same thing in the life of Nehemiah. So I want to invite you this morning to stand, to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to take as our text today the first eight verses of chapter 2 here in Nehemiah. Here's what the word of God says. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and his gates or its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, 
the queen's sitting beside him. How long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors in the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's, let's ask God to help us this morning. So Father, we come and we ask, Lord, that you would take this text which comes to us after hundreds, hundreds of years, centuries, almost 2,500 years in the past. And I pray that you would bridge that gap to right here in Collinsville, Mississippi in 2023. Father, you have a word for us here. And I pray that you would begin to impact hearts the burden that you began to build last week, Father, I pray that it would then move into a willingness to step forward and to act. And Father, I pray for the person this morning, perhaps, let's go to spiritual for just a moment, Father, for salvation. Maybe, maybe you've begun to burden somebody for their need for Christ. I pray that today would be the day that they would hear the Holy Spirit calling them, and today would be the day that they would be willing to act and to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, just move in our midst. We pray you would do what only you can do. And all God's people said, oh, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. So again, the, the, the takeaway, the truth this morning is that restoration continues with a willingness to act. Did you see that in the text? Honestly, Nehemiah, he, he didn't go asking the king, did he? No, he prayed to God in heaven to do something about the burden that he had on his heart for the city of Jerusalem which had its city walls and gates in ruin for 140 years after being destroyed by Babylon and, and 90 years after Jews began to be allowed to return back to Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem is his heart city. Now, I call it Nehemiah's heart city instead of his home city because he had never, ever seen it. He had never seen Jerusalem, yet he longed in his heart to go to the holy city of his people. He said, where my ancestors, where my people, where my fathers are buried. And he longed to see it prosper. And as Nehemiah, as he prayed at the end of chapter 1, essentially saying this, God, do something about Jerusalem. God answered that prayer by presenting him with the opportunity to act. Beloved, the restoration of a city or any situation for that matter begins with a burden and continues with a willingness to act. And so as we look at our text today, I, I want to point to you three principles that lead to action. Three principles that lead to action this morning. First is this, simply refuse to pretend like everything is fine. Refuse to pretend like everything is fine fine i know that we as southerners in particularly we're prone to making sure that we put on our happy face whenever we come into the presence of somebody i mean we wouldn't want to you know rain on anybody's parade we, we wouldn't want anybody to think that there's anything but the joy of the lord in our heart right we don't want to be sad around people but let's be real 
we might pretend like everything is fine but everything is not fine amen look it's not when you have a heavy load when you are burdened for something it's weighing you down it's potentially crushing you and nothing is fine until that burden is relieved but for nehemiah putting on that happy face was more than just a cultural nicety it was actually part of his job he was the cupbearer of the king right that's what we learned there in in in, in verse 11 there of, of chapter one for nehemiah he was expected to present himself fittingly to be in the presence of god and notice here in nehemiah 2 1 that it says that he had never been sad in the presence of the king now how long had he been in the presence of the king serving the presence of the king 20 years 20 years and i don't know how many times he probably wasn't the only cup bearer of the king so i don't know how many times he had been in the presence of the king in 20 years but it was a bunch of times and he had never ever been sad in the presence of the king but he had never been burdened like he was burdened over the news of jerusalem and so when he went to do his job before the king his job serving the king his drink which likely took place during like some sort of festival maybe it was the king's birthday maybe it was the new year's celebration whatever it was there was a festival going on he forgot to put on his happy face or perhaps he tried you've been here before you try but you just couldn't make it happen that day your burden it was just too great and so the king questioned him there in verse 2 look at verse 2 nehemiah 2 2 why is your face sad seeing you're not sick this is nothing but sadness of the heart the king saw something in Nehemiah he had never seen. He wasn't his usual self, right? He, he could tell he was burdened. He could tell he was heart sick. And so he asked him, hey, what's up? And when Nehemiah heard that, like a bolt of lightning, fear ran through his body. He was very much afraid because at that moment he was in serious danger, actually. Serious danger. At the very least, he might face the anger of the king and face discipline, right? You might remember the, from the, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis when Pharaoh had thrown his cupbearer in prison. Remember that? And Joseph interpreted the cupbearer's dream. And so he could, have, he, he could have been disciplined in some way, maybe even imprisoned. Or Nehemiah's down demeanor might have even caused the king to become suspicious. Remember, one of the reasons that he has a cupbearer is that someone might not poison him. And so he could interpret that perhaps as the cupbearer plotting against him. I mean, kings were always on high alert that somebody was trying to take them out and to take their crown. And so when the king questioned his depressed body language, Nehemiah had a choice just like you and i have a choice when we come into a situation like this he had a choice do i beg for forgiveness straighten up put on a big smile and lie no king everything's fine i'm so sorry forgive me king everything's great or do i tell the king the truth now nehemiah here decided to refuse to pretend like everything is 
fine. So he spilled out his genuine heart. Look at verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He didn't hold back, did he? He didn't hold back at all. He didn't pretend like everything's fine. And I want to say to you this morning, you shouldn't either. If everything's not fine, it's not fine. Like I said last week, not everything around us is broken. But where there is brokenness, we cannot just pretend like it's not there. We can't pretend like it's okay. Lu Xiaoying couldn't pretend that she hadn't seen that baby lying amongst the garbage and, and, and hadn't heard the cries of desperation. Nehemiah, he couldn't just pretend like the ongoing ruin of Jerusalem was okay with him. He refused to pretend like everything is fine. And we should as well. If it's broken, it's broken. If it ain't fine, it ain't fine. Perhaps it's the crime. Perhaps it's the ineptitude. Perhaps it's the decline in business and in industry. Uh, maybe it's the godless culture. Maybe it's the dilapidated, overgrown spaces. Perhaps it's a, a lack of particular service that you wish was here in the community. Whatever it is, if it's not fine, it's not fine. And you shouldn't pretend like it is. If you see brokenness and have a burden, y'all, look. Don't hide it. Don't hide it. Otherwise, you'll never act. That's the first principle I want to point you toward here that leads to action here from the text. Refuse to pretend like everything is fine. Second, if restoration is going to happen, then number two, we must be willing to personally make a difference. Be willing to personally make a difference. How many times have you found yourself saying, I wish somebody would do something? I wish we had this. I, I wish we didn't have that. I wish somebody would do something. Well, guess what, beloved? That somebody is probably you. That's one of the things I've learned over the years as a pastor. I can't tell you how many times in 20 plus years of ministry, I've had people come to me saying, Pastor, you need to start this. <laughs> you need to start that. There's a real need for it. You need to do something. And here's what I learned early on. The best response to it, to and, and they're well-meaning people, right? They are well-meaning. They really do believe there's a need. They really do believe that something should be done. But here's the best response that I've learned over the years. It really sounds to me like you need to do something because God has given you the burden. And I release you in the name of Jesus, right? Go do it. Let me know how I can help. Praise God. Amen. There we go, right? <laughs> Too often we're waiting for somebody else to change what burdens us. Nehemiah, he, he didn't wait for somebody else. He was willing to personally make a difference. And after he explained why he was burdened, the king sensed that, 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 that he was doing more than just telling him his heart. So we read in verse 4 there. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And Nehemiah had been like, I didn't ask anything, king. And he didn't. He just shared his heart. But when you begin to share your heart with people, when you refuse to act like everything's okay, people begin to become interested in what you're talking about there, and they realize a response must come. And the king sensed that. 
And he immediately began to pray, the Bible tells us, in his heart about how he could answer that. You see, at this point, he could have said, King Artaxerxes, send Hanani. (laughs) Send send, uh, Jeconiah. Send anybody. Send Nahir. Send anybody. But that's not what Nehemiah said. Look what he says. King, send me. Look at verse 5 and 6. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sat beside him, How long will you be gone and when you will return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. You see, Nehemiah here, he stepped out in faith. Send me. His words echo. A prophet who came about 300 years before him. One of the greatest prophets in all of Scripture. One of the, the, the great prophet to the nation of Judah. I'm talking about prophet Isaiah. If you remember from, from Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was given a grand vision of the Lord sitting on his throne. And the angels there in that throne room as well crying out, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the throne was shaking and the room was filling with smoke. And then we read this in Isaiah 6, 8. As a continuation of that vision, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I, that's Isaiah, then I said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah, like Nehemiah, said, Send me. I'll be your prophet to Judah, Lord. I'll speak for you. I'll serve you. Beloved, if we're going to see restoration to the broken places of our city and our communities, if we're going to see that take place, then we must be willing to personally make a difference. It doesn't take great people. It takes willing people. Amen. It takes willing people. God can do so much with someone who is just willing. I'm thankful for for people in this church who have already shown their willingness to make a difference. I I think about people like like Candace Coker and her work with The Spot. That's working to provide opportunities in this area for for special needs children and families. I think about people like Kelly Rollerson and and, and the other leaders who've worked to finally bring into being our our baseball and our softball complex over on Gibson Road. I I think about others. I think about men and women who have started businesses and lead nonprofits and and who serve in government and the community clubs and the volunteer fire departments and in our schools teaching and and, and coaching and administrating, right? All of those things. I, I look over this congregation and I think about men and women who protect and serve this community through the police and the fire and the first responders and men and women who volunteer to serve in our armed forces. I think about all of these. There are so many send me's in this congregation. But beloved, I say to you this morning, we need more send me's. I will go. I will serve. I will make a difference in that situation. Now look, I know you're busy. I know you feel ill-equipped. I know you feel like you're not the right person. 
You feel like you've done your duty and a thousand other excuses. If you want to see restoration, then you must be willing to personally make a difference. That's the second principle that leads to action. Finally, if there's going to be restoration, then third, we must see what resources others will put behind you. See what resources others will put behind you. You see, when you're faced with a daunting task, right, this, 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 this big, audacious, hairy goal, right, the BHAG that, that, that some uh, leaders talked about back in the day, right, that, that daunting task or that broken situation, you get a burden for it, you refuse to pretend like everything's fine, you step out in faith, willing to make a personal difference, but then it hits you. <laughs> I know that needs to be done and I'm willing to do it but I don't have the resources to get it done and typically that's not being pessimistic pessimistic that's actually just being real right you really don't we really don't often right we really don't have all the resources we really don't have everything that it'll take to do it and, and do it well now let me ask you a question do you think Nehemiah had the resources himself to rebuild the walls and gates of Jerusalem? The answer is what? No way. No way. I'm not saying he was poor, but he certainly wasn't rich. But Nehemiah didn't let that stop him. He didn't have the resources, but here's the deal. He had a pretty good idea who did, namely the person that was sitting right in front of him, right? The king. And so we read in verse 7 and 8. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. Nehemiah wasn't ashamed to ask for what was needed. Right? He knew that, that, that if his burden and desire was from God, guess what God does? He provides. He provides. Never forget Proverbs 21, verse 1. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. King Artaxerxes was not just there, right? God was acting upon him. God was leading him. God was, was, was inspiring him. Whatever word you want to use there, God was directing and moving that he might give Nehemiah what was needed. And if he can do that with the king of the strongest empire of that day, beloved, he can do that for that city official. He can do that for that business owner. He can do that for that foundation overseer. He can do that with a thousand people of little means to pull together a great means. You don't have resources? You have not because you ask not, amen? You have not because you ask not. Everything belongs to God and he's just waiting for you to ask so that he might lead whoever has what you need to give it to you so that you can do what he's called you to do. Oh, but we shouldn't 
expect pagans to invest in the Lord's work <laughs> sometimes people will say did that bother God when he sent Israel out of the pagan land of Egypt do y'all remember that Exodus chapter 12 verse 35 and 36 the Bible says the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them for they had listened to this asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked thus they plundered the Egyptians if the Lord is in it y'all he, he, he will provide whatever you need from places that will surprise you I still remember between 2004 and 2007 when I was working on my Master of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in, in Louisville, Kentucky. College in your undergrad, you, there's all sorts of grants and, 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 and uh, um, you know, financial aid and all of those things and loans and all that, but when you go to seminary, there's none of that. And so you either pay out of pocket or you have scholarships, right? And so Christy and I were, we, we had been married for two years at that point, and we were, we were poorer than church mice. In fact, the church mice, uh, we were jealous of them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so she said, look, you need to ask for some scholarships. And so I began to write. And I ran across one from Anheuser-Busch, the beer company. And guess what, y'all? I didn't let that stop me. <laughs> I asked them for scholarship money, and guess what? They gave it to me. Look, it wasn't much, but I danced all the way to the financial aid office because the devil had had that money long enough. Amen? And it was time for it to be put to the Lord's work. Praise God. And it's still working. Beloved, we never know where resources might come from and who might want to get behind what you're doing. Seriously. You never know where resources might come from and who might want to get behind what you're doing. Oftentimes, people are just waiting. They're just waiting for somebody to stand up and do something and for somebody to just ask. And here's the deal. If it's of the Lord, they'll give it to you gladly, voluntarily. It might be a bunch. It might be a little. But whatever the amount, here's the deal. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, look at what could happen here at the end of verse 8. Nehemiah 2.8, look at that. And the king granted me what I asked. Why? For, that's because. For the good hand of my God was upon. So see what resources others might be led by God to put behind you. Beloved, restoration continues with a willingness to act. But here's the question. Are you willing? Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you're not sure. You're concerned and you're bothered. Maybe you've even gotten a burden but you're still not sure if it's you who should act. Well, as we come to close today, I want to draw your attention to a phrase that we see twice in this text. We see it in verse 5 and we see it in verse 7. Nehemiah 
speaking to Artaxerxes, says twice, if it pleases the king. If it pleases the king. Shall I do this? If it pleases the king. Shall I do that? If it pleases the king. And I want to say to you this morning, if it pleases the king, do it. Don't wait. Apply that phrase, that question, to whether or not you should act. Someone once said this. They said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Beloved, it's time to stop doing nothing. Are you willing? We're going to go next week into the actual act. But this week, we've gotten a burden, and now we've gotten a willingness, I pray. I don't know what God's going to do with this, but I know this. When God gets a hold of his people, the gates of hell tremble, and restoration is on its way. Here's my final prayer. May the good hand of God be upon you to give you success.